0: On Roar, I share real talks with top executives, thought leaders, luminaries, authors, and entrepreneurs who are passionate about building the next generation of inspired, empowered, game-changing leaders. Are you ready to fear less and move into your dream life? Let's Roar. Welcome to Roar. I'm your host, Lakeisha Gunter. So what do I mean by ROAR? The beauty of ROAR is that it's both an acronym. The acronym stands for Reflection, Opportunity, Action, and Relationships. And it's an action. We are all born with it. A hidden power inside of us. It is a fire that is often suppressed by fear. That power is your ROAR, and it is waiting to be unleashed. Today, I want to talk about mindset. Mindset is everything. Whether you're talking about career success, starting your own business, getting through a tough workout, or being a parent, having the right mindset can make the difference between success and failure. The concept of mindset can't be discussed without mentioning Carol Dweck and her insightful book, Mindset, The New Psychology of Success. After decades of research, world-renowned Stanford University psychologist Carol Dweck discovered the power of mindset. In her book, she outlines the differences between a fixed and a growth mindset, showing how success in almost every area of life can be influenced by how we think about our talents and abilities. Once we harness the power of a growth mentality, studies show that it can be essential for career success. A fixed mindset assumes that our intelligence, character, and creative ability are static. Basically, you're a a hand in life and are required to accept it. Believing that your qualities are set in stone creates a desire to prove yourself over and over again. Believing that your qualities are set in stone creates a desire to prove yourself over and over again. A fixed mindset can result in career stagnation. On the other hand, a growth mindset is based on the idea that your essential qualities are things you can cultivate through your efforts. It assumes that everyone can change and grow through experience and practice. A growth mentality sees failure not as a detriment, but as a springboard to success. If you spend five minutes talking to my guest today, Brad Izinski, you will immediately recognize that he is a leader that radiates growth mindset. He is motivated by challenge and inspired by the success of others and believes that failure is an opportunity to grow. He's a leader that is passionate about developing people and teams and leading them to success. Brad is a fearless leader with a champion's heart and mindset, all fueled by a kind, fun-loving spirit that desire to leave a lasting impact on all that he touches. He has a track record for stepping into the unknown, embracing it, and delivering results. Brad is currently the Vice President and General Manager of the Internet of Things Group Sales Organization and the Sales, Marketing, and Communications Group at Intel. He is responsible for managing overall Internet of Things, group revenue across the various sales, technical support, and channel capabilities. Before assuming his current role, Brad spent four years leading one of Intel's multi-billion dollar global customer accounts. Yes, he led one of Intel's multi-billion dollar global customer accounts to tremendous levels of success. Brad earned a bachelor's degree in computer engineering from the University of South Florida. Go Bulls! With that, let me welcome Brad to the show. Welcome, Brad. So good to have you with us today.
1: Thanks, Lakeisha. I appreciate you having me on the podcast.
0: This is fantastic. As I said, right, we're just thrilled to have you today. I want to really spend some time talking about the power of cultivating a growth mindset and how it has enabled you to experience success in your career and how it's helping you to thrive through the crisis that we're experiencing today. What do you think about that? Is that Okay.
1: Oh, that sounds fantastic. Let's get going.
0: All right, let's do it. Before we jump right into that, I want to just give my audience and my listeners an, an opportunity to learn a little bit more about you. So, tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from, and who were some of your biggest influencers growing up?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I grew up in, uh, in this uh, French Canadian town, One Socket, and um, my mom was the oldest of 10 in an Irish Catholic family. And uh, my grandfather was a dentist. He was actually, you know, one of a few dentists in the city. And uh, yeah, so so big family on uh, my mom's mm-hmm. side. I had quite a large family, lots and lots of cousins, as you can imagine. And my older brothers and I were the the oldest of of twenty uh, something grandkids. Uh, I can't even remember the actual number, believe it or not. Uh, there's so many of us. Right. And uh, yeah, growing up in a big family. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it was interesting growing up. I had a lot, of, a lot of folks that I sort of looked up to, but, but you know, my mom's side of the family. And when we talk a little bit later in, in the podcast about some of the challenges I faced, it was, uh, you know, my, my aunts and uncles, many of them, they were inspiring to me. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, they were great people. And I'm very grateful to have had. The extended family I had because they really showed up and helped me when times got a little bit tough. And then, you know, of course, growing up, I was an athlete as well. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of of folks that I looked up to in those times. And so, you know, one of the folks I really looked up to and growing up as a kid who was born in the late 70s was, of course, Mr. Michael Jordan. Right. Uh, And just now watching the documentary. The Last Dance is just sort of bringing back all of the memories about why Michael was such a, a special human being and a special athlete and character. Absolutely. And reminding, reminding us about his mindset mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. mindset of a champion and sort of what he thinks about when he thought about his career. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so I had a lot of, a lot of influences growing up.
0: Quite all right. Well, I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, family is super important, right? And that's what I heard come through, right? Uh, mm-hmm. mom, the oldest of 10 and being, I'm, I'm the oldest grandchild of my grandmother's grandchildren too. And I think she has about 25, 26. So I know what, what that means. Right. And I know mm-hmm. the support that you get from your aunts and uncles, because you're kind of the first of the grandkids. Right. And so they really love on you in a way that that's helps right. you define who you are as a person and really um, starts to help you see who you can become. That's right. So I love that. So you and I are on the same wavelength there. I know that finding your why fuels the passion behind discovering your roar. At least it has for me. And our story is often connected to our why. Can you tell us a bit about your why story? And how did your upbringing and circumstances lead you to where you are today?
1: You know, for me, it was, uh, you know, discovering all of that, I think, just unfolded over time i had a lot of things in life that happens you know some things some struggles that people go through and others don't and um one of the challenges that that defines us is sort of the the events that occur in our life and sometimes they're traumatic events and when i was a kid you know my parents uh, they got divorced and then all of a sudden i will never forget the day my parents called us upstairs into the room and and told us that they were going to get divorced you know, that was one of many defining moments where all of a sudden your world gets rocked Mm -hmm. and um, things change and they change pretty quickly. And at the time, at least the law in Rhode Island was my older brother, you know, he had a choice because I think he was 10 years old and Mm. he he chose to go live with my mother. And my younger brother and I had to go live with my father. And, um, you know, my father ended up getting uh, remarried a few years later. So, one of the challenges right out of the gate was the three of us were split up, mm-hmm. and it's tough. you know all of a sudden that really throws a wrench into things, and you start thinking about, well, this isn't going to be very normal, mm-hmm. and so at that point I started to you know develop frustration and confusion, like most kids who would go Absolutely. through that. Absolutely, so you know, I think that was the beginning of, you know, things were fairly normal for a while, but then it's just things went on. You know, I I struggled, I think, to find my purpose and to really find, you know, what is it about me that's unique and different. And, um, you know, I went along and did a lot of the normal things, playing sports and whatnot, and learned a lot of lessons along the way. But but clearly, I think inside for many years, I, I was struggling and I was hurting with The state of things that were just going on in our lives.
0: I know, you know, you mentioned having um, obviously a bit of struggle during that time, but I know there were some folks that came alongside you throughout your childhood that really were pivotal and really kind of helping you discover at least your roar or that fire or their passion. Who were those people? And what was that moment where you realized that, you know what, there are things that I want to do.
1: You know, I had an uncle I don't know if this was the pivotal moment, but it was mm-hmm. certainly like a breaking point. I had an uncle, my my godfather, his name was Dennis, uh, Dennis Ward. And he was an amazing guy. And I remember that, you know, he really wanted to spoil me. He didn't have kids of his own. He was a great man, but he was sick. He had gotten stage four uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm-hmm. And for a few years he had it and then he beat it. He went into remission for several years And then right after I graduated from eighth grade, uh, we went to visit him in Austin, Texas. And what my mom told me later was that he was sick and he knew he was sick, but he eventually passed away. He didn't want to tell us. Mm -hmm. And so four months later in February of 1993, he died. And I really struggled with that. I don't know what it was, but it was sort of a breaking point for me. You know, kids at that age of adolescence, I was a ninth grader in high school and um you know you're already going through a lot right there you're struggling with identity trying to figure out who you are and so that hit me really hard and at that point i began a pretty tough turn mm-hmm. where i started to really you know not do the right things and make the right decisions and start to really take a turn and you know ultimately i ended up in a situation where by the time i was um my sophomore year um i had been expelled From high school. Right. And at that point, I had run away and and made some choices. And ultimately, I became, you know, a ward of the state and entered into the Rhode Island state system. You know, I was living in group homes and went to a couple of foster homes. And, you know, it was a tough situation. And effectively, my parents at the time, you know, the reality is they either didn't want to deal with it or it was too much for them. So they just went on focusing on on my brothers. And um, you know, I I had pretty much lost hope and was caught up in a in a system where I probably wasn't the worst kid. There were certainly some kids that I met along the way in that journey who had it far worse than I did. Sure, absolutely. You know, not having parents there or not even having a home. But at some point in that journey, I had a court date. And I went to court and my aunt and uncle surprisingly showed up to court, my aunt Kathy and my uncle John. So my uncle John is one of my mom's brothers and uh, they showed up to court and they looked at the judge and they said, you know, your honor, we believe that Brad is a good kid and he's a smart kid and he's lost and he's got challenges, but you know, he really shouldn't be in this system. He just needs an environment and and a home where he can thrive and he can grow, and we really just believe he's got promise. It's just, just please, whatever you do, give us the opportunity to take him in. And so they took me in, and um, I went to live with my aunt and uncle. And you know, I always had support and love from my family, but for them to show up in court and for them to open their home, knowing the risk, knowing that I had been in trouble been in trouble with the law and not making the right decisions and hanging out with the wrong kids and getting into the wrong stuff, they opened their home to me. Absolutely. And that really changed me in a lot of ways. They saw you where you could be, not where you were.
0: And they knew what you had the ability to do, that you could be and achieve anything you want. I love that. Thank you for sharing that story. Very personal story. Appreciate that. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: So it set you on a course, it set you on a direction, right? And so, you know, you've been in high tech, gosh, probably for over 20 years already. And so you've had an amazing career journey. You've made several successful career pivots. You know, if you just had to pick one, uh, which pivot transformed you the most and what would be that be? And, and maybe what were some learnings
1: that you took from it? So the, probably the biggest career pivot or pivot in general in life was the first time I went on an international assignment.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I come to Intel and, you know, first of all, I was just grateful to get out of university and, and get a great job with a company like Intel. Mm-hmm. And this is shortly after 9-11 and the first big tech bubble burst. And the industry was sort of restarting up after the booming 90s for tech. But about a year, uh, a little over a year into being at Intel, I was part of a rotation program and there was an opportunity to do an international rotation assignment. And I took the opportunity to go to France. And as a matter of fact, actually, there was two kind of moments, uh, teaching moments for me there. The first thing was, is that they actually wanted me to go to Germany to do a marketing role. But I always knew I really wanted to do sales. And so what I was doing is I was, as I was building out my mentor network at the time, I had reached out to, to somebody who is a pretty senior leader in sales and said, hey, you know, is there any way any sales opportunities? I know I could go do marketing. And I said, No, oh, you know, I'd love to go do something sales oriented. And he came back and he said, Yeah, there's an opportunity in Paris to call on the company Alcatel, which has since merged, you know, Alcatel merged with Lucent and then eventually with Nokia. But um, I said, sure. And like many Americans, like I had never even left the United States mm-hmm. outside of going to Canada. And so I just remember that the experience of picking up with very little knowledge of anything outside the United States and just moving my entire life to Paris, France, was pretty, wow. pretty amazing. And remembering, wow, there's this huge world outside the U.S. and there's cultures outside the U.S. And you know, you're sort of told when you grow up in the U.S., you're sort of told how things are around the world. But it's not the same as when you actually experience it. So both professionally and personally, experiencing the immersion into another culture mm-hmm. and the language and the customs of that culture and things. and It really opens up what I would call your consciousness door. Mm-hmm. It opens up your mind to realize that things are very, very different and it's a big world. Absolutely. So that, was, that was a big moment for me.
0: Wow. So it sounds like it shaped you both personally and professionally in a lot of different ways and really opened you up to a whole new world, for
1: lack of a better term, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in these global companies, you know, when you do business globally, I think it's really important to understand that business isn't always done the same way in in different regions of the world. There are certain customs. It was just very, very different. And I think it's important to experience that. You know, as as we all want to shape ourselves as as global leaders in the world that we live in today.
0: Makes you more well-rounded for sure. So speaking of that, right, you know, you're a leader that's truly driven by your core values. You really Mm -hmm. are, right? Uh, And core values tend to inspire loyalty and commitment and teams and, and the people that you work with because it helps them find purpose and meaning in what they do. And it just allows you to bring out the best in others. And again, your values, from what I understand, are truly your North Star. Talk about the importance of values-based leadership and which of your values has driven you the most and how.
1: So, yeah, absolutely. Values, I think, are everything. And I'm so values-driven, as a matter of fact, that I would say that I can't work for a company if the values are misaligned with my own personal values. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's interesting that recently at Intel, we've rolled out a cultural pivot in which we are talking about leadership values and, and the culture we want to create at Intel. And uh, the values are fearless and uh, truth and transparency, customer obsession, mm-hmm. one intel and inclusion. And you know, at the end of the day, you think that's interesting because those are the values I think I've always subscribed to in mm-hmm. a sense of, you know, truth and transparency, I mean, there is something about when you grow up in New England, whether it's just a cliche or not, like Keisha, you know, the old saying of like, just say it like it is. Mm-hmm. It's sort of the way in the Northeast, whether you're from New York or you're from the Boston area, you know, I grew up in a family where, again, a large family, you know, you have to find your voice. And so, you know, truth and transparency, and I think just keeping it real, you know, has always been in my cachet someone asks you a question, you know, you just, you just be forthcoming and honest. And so, you know, that, I think that's a very powerful thing is being transparent at all times, but integrity matters as well. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we've all grown up and seen examples of folks who don't always operate with the utmost integrity. And at the end of the day, if you don't have integrity, what do you have? Absolutely, you know, in a world where there's plenty of deceit, you know, I think people want to follow people and be around people who have a strong, deep level of integrity. And then, you know, going back to the transparent part I discussed is authenticity is so important. You know, one of the things I've seen in the corporate world is that, you know, some people you hear about this term, some people are playing the game, Mm -hmm. you know, they're playing some political game. I think authenticity is one of the most sought-after and important aspects of leadership. I think people are really smart, and people have a pretty good meter for detecting whether they hear or see BS or not. Absolutely. And I think when you lead forward with your authentic self and you don't make apologies you know, for who you are and how you're leading, people gravitate to that. And then I think the last thing, most importantly for me, principle-wise with leadership, is Humility. And when you say humility, I mean, I've one too many times in my career, I've heard people say things like, oh, you know, that person's not very humble. And they're describing somebody who's extraordinarily confident. And I sometimes feel that people confuse, you know, humility and confidence. I think to be a, an effective leader, you have to be confident. You have to be confident in what you say and what you do and how you lead if you want people to follow humility is not the antithesis of confidence. To me, humility is staying grounded. Humility to me is always a, remember where you came from. Mm -hmm. Remember how you got to where you got to. Absolutely. I could never have made it to where I've made it in my career without a whole bunch of amazing people along the way who helped this kid
2: Mm-hmm. from one
1: socket, Rhode Island, overcome obstacle after obstacle after obstacle in my personal life, in my professional life, mentors, friends, and family. And when you do that, you stay grounded. And I think staying grounded is really important because one of the things I always think about at Intel, as an example, Lakeisha, is that I always use this analogy when I talk to people and I say, you know, It doesn't matter if you're on the 10th floor of a 12-story building. People only walk in the building in one place. That's true. (laughs) They walk in the building on the ground floor. And I think it's really, really important for you Mm -hmm. to relate to the folks on the ground floor. For me to always think that when I came into Intel, I was on the ground floor. I was a recent college graduate. And you got to be mindful of the fact that we all started there. And no matter where your journey takes you, you have to still be able to relate to those folks, you know, staying grounded and staying humble. And then also, I would say the other piece of those principles is, you know, continuing to surround yourself with people that, you know, fill your gaps. You have to understand your strengths. You have to understand where you don't have strengths in your portfolio. And you need to surround yourself with leaders who make you better and who challenge you, and help elevate you. And remember that your job is not to be the smartest person in the room. Your job is to lead.
0: I love that. Yeah, as you were sharing that, I just began to think, to your point, I just remember one of my mentors over the years uh, would always tell me, like It doesn't matter where you sit in the company, um, you can always make an impact. And the reality of it is, if you ever have to go talk to a C-suite officer or a VP, don't be nervous about the engagement. Don't be nervous about the conversation because they're just like you. They're just like me. They put their pants on the exact same way. They may have achieved another level of success, but at the end of the day, we're all employees of this particular company, right? We may just be at a different level. And I love what you said. I mean, we all enter the building on the same floor.
1: Yeah. And I I also think just another comment too is, you know, respect.
0: Yes. That's a big one. Respect is earned. Mm -hmm. And,
1: you know, one of the things is that that's always been hard for me is you respect titles of people and you respect the role or what the title says about the person or the role they're currently holding within a particular organization. But the way I've always approached it, Lakisha, is I frankly never really thought about what my title was at the mm. end of the day. I felt that if I was going to associate with any employee, whether it was somebody who worked directly for me or somebody I worked with or somebody I worked for, was that I had to earn their respect. And there is no such thing as demanding respect. If mm-hmm. you demand respect, you will not get respect.
0: Absolutely. Well, I want to tap into something you said earlier. you talked about the importance of mentorship. and, And again, your mentorship started as a young person growing up in Rhode Island. We can't reach our goals without some help, right? What role has mentorship played in your career? And maybe tell me about someone who's played that role for you and what were some of the enduring lessons they taught you?
1: Yeah, I've had so many great mentors along the way. It's hard to really express, you know, any one individual. But I think the common theme is to me is the one of my first mentors at Intel was a guy named Rick. And, you know, Rick, Rick always used to say, you don't work for me, I work for you. Mm-hmm. I never really thought about it much until later in life as I started to get more into the management space and and into leadership about what does it really mean to be a servant leader? What does it mean to have a mentality of serving others and putting others first? And there's a beauty in that. And there's a reward in that. So that was like, you know, very early on in my career, Rick sort of stoked the fire without him realizing that there's a beauty in, in serving others. Mm-hmm. But I had another, I've had lots of mentors, but I also had another mentor, you know, who his name was CJ. And he was my boss at one point. And he was hard on me. He was really hard on me. And in the times when you're going through some of those mentorship, mentor mentee relationships, it's easy to get caught up and miss the message. But I think at the end of the day, what CJ was always trying to do was, was really keep me grounded so that I showed up as my best self. Mm-hmm. And there were times where, you know, I had you know, come up with a presentation, for instance, and I'd walk him through it. And he would just say, Hey, this isn't good enough. And you got to do better than that. And in the moment, I remember thinking, Gosh, is anything ever good enough? And, you know, one of the challenges is if you let it, if you let those childhood scars come through. So we all have trauma that we experience in our life. We all have those moments where we think we're not good enough or we have some level of imposter syndrome and it can creep. And in those moments where um, I remember how difficult it was taking that feedback in Mm -hmm. about, hey, this has got to be better.
0: Absolutely.
1: But at the end of the day, when I came full circle around, I realized that, you know, he was always pushing me to be my best. He was always showing the mirror to me about, hey, you think you're doing this, but this is in reality how you're showing up. And you got to look in that mirror and you got to take a hard look at yourself. And so you know, there's so many mentors over the years. It's hard to quantify all of them. You have friends and family and you have some, but you have some who really stick out to you. And I think the ones that really stuck out to me were the ones who basically pushed me to always strive to bring the best version of myself forward and to never stop growing, to always wake up every day. We talked about humility earlier and to think, how can I be better today than I was yesterday?
0: Love that. Love that. Well, talking about mentorship and those mentors pushing you to be the best you could be and really helping you have a a mindset of of growth and uh, moving forward toward the next thing. Talk about, Maybe, what have been one of your biggest learnings in your career, right? I mean, the growth mindset really speaks to learning from our mistakes and using them as stepping stones to success. What has been one of your biggest learning opportunities over your career?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's been so many learning opportunities over (laughs) my career. But, you know, I think sometimes, um, you know, we've all been through failures and we've Mm -hmm. all made mistakes. But for me, you know, the reality is, is, I think. I think as you, especially as you get into management, I always think it's important when you have a situation where you have a tough boss Mm or you have a boss that you don't agree with. So, you know, for me, one of the biggest learning lessons I had and one of the challenges I had was at some point, you know, about five years into my career, six years into my career, I was in a role that I was really enjoying and I was on a customer And we were just absolutely crushing it when it came to our goals and growing the business and growing the revenue and the relevance. And then Intel had decided to divest that business. Mm -hmm. And I was put in a situation where my job was going away. And in the end, I feel grateful because I was um, given an opportunity to go take another job in a different part of the organization. But I... um, I went to work for a manager that I struggled with. Right. You know, to me, that manager always wanted to do what was easy and didn't want to see the boat rocked or have anything be questioned. And I think it's more than anything, it wasn't a failure so much as it was a learning opportunity for me to remember. As I had great managers and tough managers and bad managers, effectively, how did I want to manage and lead when I had the opportunity to do so, and how was I going to take advantage of the opportunity to to make sure that I wasn't anything like the folks that really I struggled with as managers? So, you know, there's no particular failure per se that I can recall, but there's certainly lessons along the way where you're just kind sort of soaking it all in on the journey.
0: Love it, love it. Yep, you had an opportunity to look at several different perspectives as a manager and leader, and you. And that shaped your thinking in terms of how you wanted to show up, right? Yeah. As a manager and leader. I also know you believe in thinking outside the box, right? Pushing boundaries, as you talked about earlier in terms of your mom saying that you you like to push (laughs) boundaries. You were a curious young man, but that's kind of how I take it, right? Yes. In the workplace, I mean, you push boundaries to drive growth, right? You're a person that really never settles for the status quo. Talk about how this has led you to some of your big wins in your career.
1: Yeah. Well, first and foremost, yeah, well... I've been in sales my whole career at Intel. And, you know, one of the challenges about, you know, the type of sales, by the way, you know, Intel's got a pretty strong position. It's not a mystery that in our in our PC and data center space, Intel has been a very, very strong player for decades. Mm-hmm. And the type of sales that I came into when I first started at Intel was in the embedded sales side of things you know, it's ironic that I now lead the IoT business. But, you know, the embedded side of things was a place where there's many, 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 many players in the industry that do some very unique things. And Intel was not always the strongest player. So I would say that when it comes to pushing the boundaries, when I talked earlier about one of my mentors, Rick, you know, Rick always said to me, hey, if you're going to be successful in sales, in this space, you got to be prepared to take 20 to 30 no's before you even get a maybe. Wow. So, you know, you're going in and you're having a conversation with customers and they're thinking, why would I talk to you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not an incumbent in this space. You're not a leader in this space. What, what makes your value? Why should I trust you Intel for me to do business with? And, you know, and a lot of times overcoming those objections are really just require you to really push the envelope and question things. And even sometimes, one of the challenges about calling on customers is sometimes questioning their assumptions about the value you can create or not create for them as a customer. And, you know, it starts with a lot of listening and a lot of pushing and a lot of asking questions to understand their assumptions and then constantly overcoming objection after objection after objection after objection. There's a real art to that. There's a perseverance and a resiliency required. And I don't think if I had the DNA, Lakeisha, to always question what I was being told, mm-hmm. that I don't know if I would have had what it takes to be successful in some of these spaces.
0: I love that. So, again, going back to the pushing boundaries and the passionate curiosity and willing to test things and ask those questions uh, as a young person really helped
1: you in your career, right? Absolutely. And you know, I think it also, you know, I certainly tested the patience of my managers many times as well. Where, you know, they would say you hear a lot of things that, at big companies like, well, this is just how it's done around here. Well, why is it done that way? <laughs> well, because we said so. Well, why why do you say so? I mean, is that the most effective way to do it? Have we thought about, you know, doing it a different way? And I think that's always one of the things that's always challenging, Lakeisha, is when you push boundaries when you question things, you can't just question for question's sake. Mm -hmm. You have to be ready to have some alternative offering or suggestion to say, well, have we considered trying this or doing this? Mm -hmm. And so that way you're erring on the side of making a suggestion or being thoughtful about how a process or a decision or something can be improved versus just sitting there and you know, saying, well, I don't like this or, or whatnot. I think people sort of get tired of if it comes across as a complaint versus it comes across as an honest questioning of, of why something is done a certain way, and maybe there's a way to improve it. Absolutely.
0: So what's been the biggest Goliath that you faced in your career, and how did you overcome it, and what was your slingshot?
1: Yeah, well, actually, um, I've had many Goliaths in my career. I would say that probably the biggest Goliath I ever had was you spend so much time and energy, especially when you've been at a company. You know, I've been at Intel for eighteen years. This July, and you know, when you're at one company for that long, you spend a lot of your time you sort of building your brand. Okay, you're building your brand and your core values. You know, for someone like me, I like to let my core values be known. Mm -hmm. transparency and says it like it is and keeping it real and serving others and making about others versus about the self. And at one point I I had a great leader I worked for, a great boss, a great manager. And um, there was a massive organizational change. And I went from working for this particular boss and leader who pushed me and inspired me and really challenged me to show up as my best self And the org structure took me to working for another leader Mm -hmm. who I did not know very much at all. But the minute I got in the situation with the other leader, it became very apparent to me very quickly that this other leader didn't like me. Mm -hmm. Not only did they not like me, they didn't value me. And as a matter of fact, I felt that they were going out of their way to almost damage wow. my reputation. And I struggled with that big time. And this particular leader, they demanded, they, you remember when I talked earlier about respect is always earned sure, and never demanded. This type of leader was of the mentality that they were the boss and that I had to just respect out of the fact that, you know, that they were the boss and they wanted me to know that they were the boss and that they were in control and that they were in charge. And no matter what I said or did, it didn't seem like they were just down with who I was, that they just accepted who I was. And that was one of the hardest things I've ever faced because when you work so hard on your craft Mm -hmm. and on, on growing and leading and pushing yourself and pushing the boundaries and all of a sudden, you run into what feels like a brick wall. It's hard, and I almost left. I almost quit. I almost uh-huh. uh, this took me to a space where I almost quit the company. And at the end of the day, I had to go have a few tough conversations, and I actually confronted the person directly and said, "Hey, you know, I don't understand what is going on here," and I never really got any straight answers. But all I can say to you, Lakeisha, is that in the end, you know, one of the things is I had some folks, including my wife and many folks who cared deeply about me said, you know, you've got to just focus on what you can control and these things will eventually take care of themselves. And, you know, I went off and took an extended vacation for some time. And when I came back, the person happened to be gone. Mm. And so the situation ended up taking care of itself. But in the end, That was extraordinarily challenging for me because I never quite understood why things were the way they were or why this person had a certain perception. And I couldn't have the conversation. The person wasn't open to have a dialogue, an open dialogue and conversation about why it was that way. But you felt it in your bones every day when you woke up and it impacts you.
0: Wow. That's definitely a tough situation. Well, I'm going to shift gears and talk about something I know you're passionate about, and that's developing people in teams, right? You've led and been a part of high-performing and winning teams. What are some of the key characteristics of those teams, and what did you do to cultivate it?
1: Yeah, so the first thing I would tell you is that one of the experiences, uh, one of the better experiences about my childhood that I'm very grateful for was I I had the opportunity to be part of a a championship Little League baseball team. So, you know... Yeah. And, you know, between the time when my parents had gotten divorced and, and when I had gone off and uh, made a turn for the worse, you know, in my middle school years, I was part of a, of a great baseball team. Actually, their name was the Galinda's auto body Braves. And I'll never forget the name of the team. (laughs) And it wasn't until I became an adult that I reflected upon what made that team special. And you hear this over and over and over again. And as a matter of fact, right now, many people are watching The Last Dance Mm -hmm. with Michael Jordan. And, you know, The Last Dance gives you that glimpse, that firsthand glimpse into Michael Jordan's mentality as a a six-time NBA champion and the greatest basketball player who's ever lived. And, you know, it's really about, you know, when you're part of a championship team, the first thing you do is, first of all, you all respect each other.
2: Mm-hmm. But you
1: also have to challenge each other, and so for me, when it comes to creating a high performance team or being part of a high performance team, you know the first thing you have to do is you have to create an environment. You know, first of all, psychological safety is important. So you know, it, it depends if you're you're playing a role of you're one of the players on the team or if you're the leader of the team. But at the end of the day, I think the greatest teams they push each other, they hold each other accountable. They call out unproductive behaviors, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, they also cheer on their teammates when those teammates are showing up and putting their best foot forward and really showing up with their full potential. And so for me, I think I always go back and think about those championship sports teams. And if you've ever been on one, you know that it's not all rosy. It's not all great. It's not all feel-good moments. There are real moments of challenge. But in the end, the team wants to win. And the team will push each other and respect each other and call each other out to make sure that everyone's pushing along and bringing their best foot forward for sake of the team. And I know Rose Schooler, my friend who you had on one of your podcasts previously, she Mm -hmm. talks about big team, little me hmm Yes. And that really talks about when you put the team first over the self, you can do some very extraordinary things.
0: Wow. This is fantastic. Hey, I, we could talk to you all day long and I know you've got to run, but let me ask, is there anything else you want to share with the audience before I kind of move into a fun lightning round of questions?
1: Yeah, no, I think the only thing I'd share with the audience is that, you know, life is a journey and, um, you know, some of the best sayings I always think is, um, You know, you go through life and you go through the journey and there's a Mm -hmm. lot of challenges, you know, in the journey and there's a lot of learning lessons. You know, when I was twenty-six years old, I became a father. And two years later, you know, I'm blessed now, I'm married, I have four amazing kids and an an amazing wife named Joey. But at twenty-six years old I became a father and it wasn't it wasn't exactly planned. Mm -hmm. And by twenty-eight years old, I was a single father. And, you know, we talk about failure and I remember thinking, how did I end up in a situation where, you know, I'm a father of a, of a two-year-old little girl and how do you keep moving forward? And so one of the best things I've heard people say is, Hey, if you've been knocked down seven times, you got to get up eight times. Absolutely. And life is really just about being resilient and knowing that everything that happens in life is an opportunity to learn and grow. And so, when you talk about a learning mindset versus a fixed mindset, it's every day you wake up. And I personally meditate on how can I be a better father, a better brother, a better son, a better husband, a better friend, a better colleague, a better manager, a better leader. And, you know, with that mentality, I think you can do extraordinary things. And if you keep everything into the frame of that, it's a journey.
2: Mm -hmm. And that
1: along the journey, you're learning and growing every single day. I think that's the most important thing. And then, you know, when doubt creeps in, you have to really get the doubt out. Um, The last probably two years of my life, my wife and I went out and bought a Peloton. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: uh, we love the Peloton. And there's a a particular Peloton instructor named Alex Toussaint.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: he's one of my favorite. And he always says, you got to inhale confidence and exhale doubt. I love it. And it's just staying grounded and realizing that, you know, we all have to learn and grow and keep pressing forward. But I think if you put others first and you find the beauty in serving others, if you think as a leader that I work for you and you lift up others around you, if you raise the tide and raise all boats, then there's a beauty in that and there's a paying forward element in all of that. And I think that's the best thing we can do as leaders is to truly pay it forward and pave the way for others and inspire others to go off and be the best versions of themselves.
0: I love it. I love it. Well said. Simply powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I do, I actually am part of that Peloton revolution as well. And I do love Alex as well. Thanks for sharing.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Alex. I love Alex. He gets me fired up.
0: I'm telling you, it's a lot of fun. So we'll wrap up really quickly with some lightning questions. And so lightning round of questions. And so what I'll do is I'll say a word or phrase and you tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. You got it. Favorite food.
1: Bacon. <laughs> I love bacon. Guilty pleasure. Playing music.
0: Playing music. Okay, what instrument? Or just listening to music or record singing oh, you-
1: play, Playing. I uh, I I play bass guitar. Oh. I play guitar. If you catch me in the right mood and you put a beat on, I might kick a freestyle. I there's no limits <laughs> to my musicality for me is a big guilty pleasure of mine. I love all things music. Perfect. I love that. Your current Netflix addiction, if you have one. Oh, so many to name. I'd say Ozark right Yeah, pretty good one. Maybe your favorite book. Leaders Eat Last.
0: Okay. All right. I like that. And your dream vacation.
1: Piedmont, Italy, the Barolo region, northern Italy. Hard to beat.
0: Oh my gosh, it sounds amazing. Well, I have enjoyed our time together and I'm so glad that we had an opportunity to share you with the listeners. I want to make sure they have an opportunity to stay connected with you and follow you and all the great things that you're doing uh, in your career. And so what are the best ways for them to connect with you? LinkedIn, would you say?
1: Yeah, LinkedIn would be great.
0: All right, so Brad Hazinski on LinkedIn and uh, Twitter, are you on Twitter?
1: I am on Twitter, at Brad Hack. B R A D H A C K. I don't tweet very much, but maybe I'll be inspired to start tweeting. More. Okay. Of things, I'm kind of a little behind on the times. My 15 year old daughter likes to tell me I don't know how to social media very okay.
0: well. <laughs> well, I tell you, leave it to the younger generation. They can certainly give us a, a social media toot up for sure. Well, it's been a pleasure, Brad. Hey, enjoy the rest of your day, and thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks, Lakeisha, for having me. I appreciate it. Enjoy of the rest course. of your day. You too.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of ROAR. Tune in next time for more awesome talks with people at the top. Don't forget to subscribe and share so you're the first to know when our newest episodes are available. Until next time.